Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmari Hutchison, and today I am excited to welcome Mohammed Al-Ruyaji. Mohammed has worked with projects related to Vision 2030 in Saudi Arabia, and he has co-founded a couple of companies, the latest of which is Cycles, a company that is developing a smart AI mobile app that leverages technologies like ChatGPT in the real world. How exciting. Mohammed, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the kind introduction, Helmari. It's my pleasure to be here. For our listeners who do not already know you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your background? My name is uh, Mohammed Rajay. I am the co-founder of a company called Cycles. They started three years ago. I graduated uh, with a bachelor's degree from KFUPM in 2015. My professional career has been focused on the cross-section between technology and uh, product. Where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I left Riyadh for going to college, essentially, for a few years. But uh, I find myself uh, back in Riyadh again. That's the best place for you. Absolutely. And what was the dream when you were a kid? Was it to get into technology or did you have any other aspirations? Not at all. So people who know me when I grew up know that I absolutely hated math and absolutely hated technology. Like I was always a painter. So I drew from a very young age. And uh, I always thought when I was in high school that I ended up being like a 3D animator or something like that. So it was quite a surprise to find myself in technology, in technical stuff. Yeah, I'm as shocked as anybody. I love that story. That's brilliant. Can you tell us about your journey from graduating with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering to working on Vision 2030 projects with the Boston Consulting Group? I got recruited straight out of college by the Boston Consulting Group. And at the time, the country was undergoing a massive change, especially with the change of leadership and the development of Vision 2030 and the refinement of it. It seemed like the country was determined to build an economy that is not fully dependent on oil. And uh, in college, I found that very inspirational. So it was quite an exciting opportunity to jump and work straight out of college as a young Saudi kid on these economic initiatives. I did that for a while, and it was one of my formative experiences. And then in 2017, you took on a new challenge. What inspired you to start your own venture and... What were some of the challenges that you faced along the way? Part of my work with the Boston Consulting Group, I quickly realized a few things. Since I have a technical background, I realized that there is a missed opportunity. The traditional ways of looking at the economy were no longer sufficient in an increasingly complex world. And technology, especially back then with the advent of data, big data, provided opportunity for decision makers and leaders to better understand the problems they were facing. That was, those are like a a few thoughts I always kept thinking about, like we're doing all these things, but they seem very traditional. Technology is rapidly offering much, much better, robust, scalable solutions, but I didn't act on these. I still thought that I'm the sort of person that stick to a career. But then when I realized that there were few like-minded people around me that wanted to stop their own business, and they were seeing the same thing that I was seeing. 
I got excited. This is the pivotal moment in my life where I realized that I'm a risk taker, that I actually would enjoy a new journey. And I was lucky to have my co-founder who shared the same vision. And we started Velocity together to essentially bring big data solutions to the same clients that I was serving with the Boston Consulting Group. And I did that for three years. How important is the role of big data solutions in driving strategic and economic initiatives within a country like Saudi Arabia? It's uh, very, very important. It used to be that we had to go to decision makers and thought leaders and people in the government and so on and convince them of the value that technology brings to all sorts of problems, especially economic ones. The depth that you can do with combining human insight and machines were order of magnitude more valuable than somebody sitting in a conference room and speculating. But it didn't take long before Saudi as a country embraced technology. Our job essentially transformed from educators and communicators to implementers. And that was something that was exciting to witness. But you see the, how it started back then. They had a huge appetite with the Vision Fund and so on for technology and uh, the startup ecosystem, the role that AI could play into diversity in the Saudi economy. Very exciting to be at the forefront of those changes. Leaving Wasfi to co-found your next venture, Cycles, really shows your entrepreneurial spirit. Could you tell us a bit more about Cycles and the concept behind the smart AI mobile app that you're developing? After three years in Wasfi, I found myself being very comfortable. It was no longer the challenge that I was still young, but it was no longer the challenge that, like what really excited me. It was comfortable financially, in fact, too comfortable. Working with big data and working on economic initiatives, there was a question that was at the back of my mind. Our relationship with technology was not what it's supposed to be. It seemed artificial and I didn't know how to act on these thoughts yet, but I knew that I wanted to do something about that. At the end of, I think, 2019, I made the jump to found to start cycles, essentially. My singular focus was to change our relationship with technology. And the insight was for me that uh, instead of us thinking like machines, I would like machines to think more like humans. That was essentially the genesis of cycles. Essentially, to this day, I ask myself that question. To this day, it's very re- relevant. How do you envision Cycles or the app that you're developing benefiting users in their everyday lives? Before even asking this question, let me just take a step back and say the way we use technology today is quite limited. It seems like we have to push a lot of buttons. We have to learn these arcane like learning curves for each app. It's not a very natural thing. And uh, there is a much more natural way of communicating, which is natural language that we do with each other. Right now, what we're doing, however, uh, like having a conversation. Naturally, if you go to a kid, they're much more comfortable talking to you six or seven years old than pushing buttons and learning how to navigate like a complex UI, like say, or something like that. Bringing this ability to essentially speak to technology. Think of a Jarvis from Star Trek. You forget that you're talking to a computer. You forget that you're using a computer. You're just having a conversation. It's the way your brain works. Instead of using something like something clunky like Siri or Alexa, where you're very, like you're really aware that you're using like something and it messes up and it's not quite human. And I definitely wanted to build Jarvis. That was the goal of Cycles. Like I wanted you to forget that you're talking to a computer. I wanted you to feel comfortable, to express yourself as though you're talking to a human being. A more intuitive interaction rather than a learned interaction. Yeah, for sure. I didn't, especially in the early days, put a lot of attention, a lot of thought into, like, after solving that problem, what what then? I was just focused on this interface issue. 
especially the first year. After that, it was quite clear for me that a lot of services that we use today can be served and are much better served as a conversation. You would do away with so many apps and so many websites and so many complex navigations and I forget my passwords and this and that. If you just text something at a tell like, what do you want? And you say, I want this, this, and that. I'll show you a few things. And you can be in this phase of exploration and maybe you want to buy and maybe you don't want to buy. And it's just very natural and you can transition from one experience to the other without you feeling consciously you're switching abs or you're switching windows. Providing this sort of experience would just save a lot of people's attentions and like focus and energy and having like a unified singular chat experience that people can essentially do real things with. They can purchase, they can buy, they can order, they can exercise their daily lives without spending six, seven hours standing at the screen. That was the vision for the product. That's where we built Saria essentially. That sounds fantastic. How do you spell the name of the app? Saria. So S-A-R-Y-A. Speaking from experience, I know when I've had to research something, you know, you want to buy a new laptop and you think, hey, which, what's the best on the market? And you can literally, as you say, go down rabbit holes and spend hours and hours just trying to find what should be a simple answer. Yeah. And uh, there's a famous phenomenon, actually, that people can search on Wikipedia called the paradox of choice, which is that giving more choices we find it harder and harder for us to, to make a decision. It's actually abundance actually confuses us and annoys us. It doesn't give us the liberty that, that you think of it'll give us. Most people are much better served if you just give them three or four things that are relevant. Instead of delegating this choice to them, giving them like a hundred results, or like a thousand color. Most people don't care. Most people just want to live their lives and have meaningful interactions with other people. Absolutely. I can say that for sure in researching things. And you say, well, the one company has four things that look so similar. What exactly is the difference? It takes so long to get the answer. It's crazy. Yeah. So it makes absolute sense what you're saying. So as an entrepreneur and innovator, what do you see as the biggest opportunities and challenges in the field of AI and mobile app development? I don't know if that's too big a question, but let's try. So you see a lot of time today, especially from the past six months, how people saying, okay, AI is going to change a lot of things. It's going to remove a lot of jobs, this and that. And there's a lot of speculation that's happening. I think what's uh, less understood less commonly understood at least, is that this technology is not quite understood. Like it's, we don't know why it does the things that it does. Even the people who are building these models, they don't quite understand sometimes why it would do this or that. Essentially, it's kind of like training a child and you can infuse that child or download the brain of that child as much knowledge as possible, but you don't necessarily predict or know how they would act. And I think the biggest challenge today for people who are developing and utilizing these technologies is to make sure that this technology aligns with us as human beings, is understood, and there's like guards and safety valves that make us like much more comfortable introducing them in a safe way into our daily lives. Once that's in place, the potential is tremendous. Like this could really touch everything. It could touch medicine, it could touch cultures, it could touch education, it could touch engineering. It has to be tamed. I always say to the team, it's like you're taming a dragon. Like it's the dragon. The dragon is very powerful and breathes fire. If you don't know how to tame the dragon, the dragon might burn you. I see that as a real challenge that I face day to day. Once that challenge has been conquered, if you will, there is no, like all the imagination is the limit, honestly. You don't see uh, AI replacing humans in jobs, or how do you see that impact? 
I keep asking myself that question. And I think a lot of people do as well. And uh, what I see from my daily life, from running cycles day to day, is that the need for people and the needs for human is actually like, for us, like increase, not decrease. There are different roles, essentially. Some tasks will for sure change. The job market will not be the same as it is today. But it's, that's the nature of technology, right? Like, yeah, we used to have farmers. And now we have white-collar jobs. And I think there will be a next evolution of jobs as well. It might be more stress on the creative side of things. Those jobs might be more human in nature, more artistic in nature, more social in nature, as opposed to technical jobs or repetitive jobs. There is value in AI, but the value that I see day to day is the collaboration between humans and AI. I don't see AI being autonomous the way it is often portrayed in the media and social media. The value that we're reading today in cycles is the collaboration. Right. So there's always going to be the need for humans and the human touch and the human things that we will bring to the table. So it'll be maybe different skills that we will use and use the technology and the AI for the things that take time. And it's maybe repetitive and maybe the parts of our jobs we don't like so much. Maybe they will take that away. I find myself more and more leaning to that direction, yeah. We mentioned Saudi earlier. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has shown great interest in technology and fostering innovation, as is evident from projects like Vision 2030. How would you describe the entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem in Saudi Arabia? It has never been a more suitable time to start a company than it, it is today in Saudi, especially even like recent announced two or three years ago, the south of like Saudi free zones, the ones you see in the UAE and the tourist visas and the, the constant stream of government initiative when it comes to funding and worker subsidies and so on. It's just like every year, it just gets exponentially easier to run and operate a startup in Saudi. There is a cultural shift that happened perhaps two or three years ago, because it used to be harder to recruit uh, Saudi nationals to work in startups. It was still culturally viewed as a risky endeavor. And it was like at a cultural level, people didn't quite know what it is. The success stories of companies like Kareem and Jazz having like massive exits or IPOs, it changed the narrative at a society level. So we have a much higher luck today engaging with young Saudis who want to work with us or want to have internships with us. We have a much higher degree in like also when we do business development, when we go raising money, all these things, they got tremendously easier because of the success stories of the companies that I mentioned previously. Hunger Station also comes to mind. As an entrepreneur, we like to uh, ask our guests to give tips and advice to our listeners. So what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs who want to make a difference in the field of technology and AI? I might seem a little bit pessimistic about that. My first response would be say, don't start at a start unless you really have to. And that's a disclaimer I give to everybody. It's not for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But if you end up starting a startup, I don't think you'll regret it. You might go through a lot of pain and challenges, but even if you fail, it will be a formative experience. Nonetheless, it will change who you are as a human being. So I might recommend it from that aspect. And I would tell people like, be okay with failure. Give those two, three years of your life if you're in your 20s. But do not be okay with the prospect of failing. And I think if you go into it, that mindset, you'll end up succeeding. Because at the very least, even if things go wrong, you'll still have great stories to tell. If starting a business appeals to you and something that you cannot shake over your head and you really don't find anything else exciting, then it can be a very fulfilling experience. But the price tag for that is 
Philistine. Yes, there's a lot of challenges. How do you maintain resilience and motivation when facing challenges in your entrepreneurial endeavors? I mean, it's cliche to say, but uh, it is more of a marathon than a sprint. You have to invest in habits. You have to put habits in place that when things go out of control, you know how to wind yourself down. You know how to prepare your mentality. You have to first manage your emotions. Like You have to invest in your lifestyle. You have to invest in the people around you. You have to put all these things in place so that when the motivation is not where it should be and when you are faced with a total doom scenario, you still have those things to fall back to, like uh, the investment of the team, how you think, how you manage your day, like the process, essentially. That's a huge part of the investment. Your mental health, especially, because it's not going to be rainbows and sunshine every day. Some days will be really, really high and some days will be low, but that shouldn't matter. It is a marathon. Investing in those habits and investing in the people around you does pay dividends longer term. I think that's excellent to have systems in place for when things are tough. I think that's very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your insights, your tips with us, for telling us your story. We, I've really enjoyed hearing about AI and uh, this app that you're developing sounds really exciting. Now we have come to the segment of our show where I'll ask you some rapid fire questions, our version of a game show. Are you ready? Okay. What do you do to relax? I meditate. Okay, excellent. Can you name one thing on your bucket list? I want to climb a really high mountain. Anyone in particular or just doesn't matter? One that not a lot of people know about. I want it to be a soul experience. Okay, lovely. Are you an early bird or a night owl? It fluctuates, but recently I'm more of an early bird. And when do you feel most productive? When I'm alone. Okay. What is one thing you do on a daily basis, no matter how busy you are? Make my perfect V60 cup of coffee. Okay, thank you very much. That was easy enough, the end of the game show. I would like to ask you about your green pool moment. So what was your green pool moment, the action or event that was the turning point for you or your career? I would say in high school, towards the end of my school, I got my act together and took studying really seriously and ended up luckily having really good grades and a bunch of scholarships where they, they sponsor your scholarship four or five years in college then you'll have to work with them for another five years. So in total, you'd be signing up 10 years of your life. Everybody around me, though, is like an amazing thing to do. Of course you should do it. You'll get sponsorship and a job. You should say yes. Of course you should say yes. For whatever reason, I had an intuition for the concept of an opportunity cost, which is that I can't, like, I'm young. I can't sign 10 years of my life. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe something better will come along. I don't want, like, why spoil the movie today? Why spoil the next 10 years of my life today? And ended up uh, refusing all of these offers, which drove my family insane. But looking back at it, it was 100% the best decision that I made all my life. I don't know what prompted me to do that, but I think it was just like in the, the grace of God, honestly. But yeah, it ended up shaping the next 10 years of my life. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and for sharing your wonderful story. I'm sure a lot of young entrepreneurs and tech enthusiasts are going to be inspired by your story and learn from your examples and advice. So thank you very much for that. Before we say goodbye, could you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you? And we'll also put this in the show notes. You can find us always at cycles.com, C-Y-C-L-S.com. We're hiring as of today. So if anybody's interested, opening an office in Dubai very soon. And they can also find the app at S-A-R-Y-A.com. And you can follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'm LinkedIn, Ahmed Rajay. And on Twitter, M-O-H-A-L-R-J. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And again, thank you so much for being here today. It's been an absolutely inspiring conversation. And I wish you all the very best and we'll definitely be following your journey onwards. No reason. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here. If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.